0: Hello, I'm David Hepworth. Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear, the latest of hundreds of chats Mark Allen and I have had over recent years, some between ourselves and others with musicians, authors, comedians, and other people we like. If you'd like to help make sure they continue, you might consider becoming a Patreon supporter by visiting patreon.com slash ear or just by liking or subscribing
1: in whatever way you prefer. On with the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify.
2: This word
0: in your ear is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. Now, remind me, Mark, what does VPN stand for? I think you'll find it's Virtual Private Network. That's my reading of the situation. I think you're right. It stands for virtual private network. And also, I don't have to bother asking you if you know what virtual private network work means. I know, but explain to anyone who doesn't. Okay. <laughs> it means a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in, either at home or abroad or in an internet cafe or on your phone in a in the street in a different, distant capital VPN, virtual private network, protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal that identity. But there's fun as well, Mark. At the same time, it enables you to access the internet via servers in more than 50 can 50 different countries. So you can get up in the morning and think, where do I fancy logging in from today? singapore or the united states of america or mexico or wherever this had the advantage that means you can often sidestep the uh, region restrictions and stream movies and tv programs from all around the world and i'll tell you what i'm going to be streaming later today in memory of the late james
3: khan well that's gonna be one of two things so the godfather or misery I uh, could be could be the Godfather
0: I watched the Godfather only the other week actually. I watched the Godfather interesting after after having reread the Godfather the original book.
3: Have you ever read it? It's no never no.
0: Anyway, I watched the Godfather again recently. So the one I'll be watching is Misery. Uh which is, I've always had a particular soft spot for since it it, uh, it led me to believe, because it starts with the scene where James Caan, playing a best-selling author, is finishing a book, and he always has standing by the, uh, the, the special things that help him celebrate the ending of a book. And what are those things? Oh, uh, if
3: I remember right, it's a bottle of champagne on ice <laughs> with a champagne glass, and I think he has a... It might even be a ready rolled cigarette and a, and a non safety match ready to light it. And he picks it up and he smells the tobacco. <laughs> As he pours the glass of champagne, it's a he, uh, it's a. Single, and also, he writes the end, the, the end, end the, in longhand, in longhand to make it quite clear what's going on. I'm a from, novelist. I finished a book. You
0: know. Absolutely, he's doing it on a manual steam typewriter kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, yeah and he, So he, he's he's putting the last sheet on the top of the of the the pile of manuscript pages, and he actually writes longhand the end. And he, he has a glass of champagne, glass of Dom Perignon, actually, if, I'm, yeah. if I remember correctly. And also a smoke of his single lucky strike that he's had standing by to finish the book and then sets off uh, down the post office to post the manuscript to his agent or publisher or whatever. And I won't spoil it for anybody else by saying what happens when he sets off. Down the mountain side. It's shotgun by like
3: Junior Walker and the All Stars is playing.
0: There you go. There my you go. My God, there
3: are there are some terrifying moments in that film. Oh, isn't absolutely. Right? Oh my lord, the one where he finds the pressure. Oh, ta- no, okay. no, 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 Oh no, okay. No, 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 no. Go. To, let's not ruin anybody's enjoyment. No, absolutely. It's fantastic. So it's all there. It's all there.
0: Available, no doubt, on the internet. Um, so you can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear, that's us, word in your ear, your ear, or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details in the show notes below.
4: You're listening to a podcast from The Word.
3: It's the return, the slight return, of the Stack Waddy game. Um, hooray! Hooray! Hurrah! The sky is black with chapeau. Uh, inspired, in my case, by the, the massive uh, current heat wave. Do you remember that uh, Ben and Jerry had a a, a, a flavour of ice cream called Cherry Garcia? And still do, actually. Do indeed. And uh, I just wondered if there been any more developments. Oh, uh, of oh that's music a good one. Music-related... Ben and Jerry uh ice cream flavors. I know I know I know, I know part of this. Go on. All right. Go oh, on, okay. Go well, go on, go I on. have I have five okay. possible Ben and Jerry flavors that I'm going to run off for you here. Uh four of which are real and one is fictional. Okay. Fine. Okay, bring so it on. The, <laughs> ben and Jerry's uh, uh current range includes Glastonbury. Okay? <laughs> Glastonbury. Yeah. It includes Bohemian Raspberry. (laughs) Uh, There's One Sweet World spelled W-H-I-R-L-E-D. All right. One Sweet World. There's Tangled Up in Blueberry. I didn't know any of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there's And this, of course, uh, contains an American idiom, but it, uh, there's Goodbye Yellow Brickle Road. Wow. Now, one of those is fictitious, and the other four exist. God, those are all completely Can you spot the new ringer? to me.
0: Because uh, I would that the, the, the better-known kind of music-related Ben and Jerry flavours, apart from uh, Cherry Garcia, are the likes of Fish Food. That's right, Fish Food. You know all those things named after jam bands. All yeah, yeah that fish food is things. that's real. Yeah, uh, that is real. God, I'm going to have a wild guess that Bohemian rap- Raspberry is not real.
3: That is real. Wow, that is real. Oh no, no, Gla- Glastonbury is real, created in in 2006. To Commemorate Britain's biggest annual festival a base of vanilla ice cream with fudge brownies and berry swirls. Now, Bohemian Raspberry is uh, yeah, it was uh, it's uh, raspberry swirls and fudge brownie chunks proceeds to the uh, part of the proceeds to the Mercury Phoenix Trust. One Sweet World is uh, play obviously on the, on the Dave Matthews song, uh, and that's an envir- environmental charity fundraiser. Uh, yellow Brickle Road. Brickle, rather giving it away actually. Chocolate ice cream with peanut butter, cookie dough, butter, Brickle, and white chocolate chunks.
0: So, are you telling me that there is no such th- such flavour as tangled up in
3: blueberry? That's right. It is apparently under consideration in the thing that I was looking at. But I'm surprised they haven't had it. All as is cinnamon swirl, which would appear to appeal to any uh, Neil Young fans. That's so there true. It is. I win. Tangled. There is no tangled up in blueberry. Go on, what do you got for me? You've got one. These are, uh, I don't know if you ever look
0: at Apple Music. On Apple Music, they have uh, the forever uh, codifying categories of music. They have kind of channels and they have essentials of, uh, you know, not just jazz, but jazz 1959 or bebop or hard bop or post bop or whatever. There are devils for, for classifications. So th- what I'm going to give you is I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have before me ten lists, uh, ten names of categories of music on Apple Music. One of which doesn't exist as a category on Apple Music. That's okay. good. Okay, all the rest do.
3: That's very good.
0: And here we go. Are you ready? The first first one is Manouche Jazz. Manouche Jazz. Yep. The second one is Tropical House. Tropical House. (laughs) The third one, number three, Dance Punk. Dance Punk. Yeah. Number four is Swamp Rock. Swamp Rock. Number five is Quiet Storm. And number six, Folktronica. And number seven, Countrypolitan. And number eight, Pillow Talk. And number <laughs> nine, J-Jazz. And finally, Jangle Pop. Okay? Ten categories that have their own essentials page on Apple Music. What is the one that I've just
3: invented? Or Some of those happen. I pretty much know. I think Jangle Pop certainly. Pillow Talk sounds likely, doesn't it? Um, what was the funk one again? Oh, uh, no, it, was folk, it was Folkatronica, wasn't it? Was all right. Folk, Folkatronica. That yeah. I think is absolutely right. I'm going to go for. I'm going to go because it sounds so ridiculous, and it must be made up. Uh, Country Politan. No, Country Politan. Long that established.
0: Real? Country-Politan existed okay. as a genre in the 1960s.
3: Yeah, yeah, still around. Yeah. right, go on now, which is The Ringer?
0: The one that doesn't have a category in uh, Apple Music, amazingly,
3: is Swamp Rock. Oh, my God, that's Swamp Rock. rock. I, I didn't even bother <laughs> to query that because it's so... I mean, that's just a kind of classic kind of, a, you know, rock hack invention, really, isn't it, I suppose? and uh... It doesn't
0: exist on Apple Music as a category. All the rest do. Manouche jazz. Do you know what Manouche jazz no, no, is? No, no, don't. It's kind of Gypsy Kings jazz. That's what oh, it means. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what J jazz is? No. Japanese jazz. Okay. You see, because the other thing about this, Apple music, is a completely international thing, isn't it? You know? yeah, 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 yeah. So stuff arises from different territories and, yeah. uh, and has some kind of presence. So, but still, there is no Apple Essentials list. For Swamp Rock, which I think is wrong. Is, is, it needs correcting. It's a whole as bowl of wrong. As possible. It is. It, it's a whole bowl of gumbo <laughs> and wrong. <laughs> it is wrong, wrong, wrong. Wrongity, wrong. wrong.
4: The Word Podcast, prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week.
3: I'm sure you've been following the story, which I find absolutely fascinating, of Bob Dylan's um, recent auction. For a one off recording of one of his songs. And I mean, as you know, the story is that Dylan no longer owns, I mean, Columbia owns his copyrights and Universal Music owns his publishing. And he's constantly looking for new ways to make money out of, out of, out of his music, out of recorded music, apart from just playing. Can we just point out, Bob Dylan likes a quid, a quid. He loves a
0: quid. He's got a few of them already, but he wants <laughs> more. He likes a quid. As David, as David Geffen memorably said many, many years ago, he said, I've talked to lots of artists and Bob Dylan is no exception in being really interested in money. <laughs> absolutely.
3: <There's> absolutely nothing <laughs> wrong with it. I don't oh. blame him. I mean, it's not undignified at all. Not at all. But he did that thing, that Shadowland, uh, uh, Shadow, Shadow Kingdom, sorry, Shadow Kingdom uh, uh, concert, you know, I think we saw it was last year, which is a, again, a way, he re-recorded some of the back catalogue and put it up for streaming and you had to pay $25 to watch or whatever. So he's, he's trying out new versions of ways of making money out of a catalogue that he no longer owns. And the ruse he came up with was that uh, on the 60th anniversary, of its original recording, which I think was July of the 9th, 1962, he and uh, T-Bone Burnett and various other people had recorded a one-off recording of Blowing in the Wind, done in one take, okay? <laughs> Again, classic Dylan, minimum amount of work yes, minimum, yeah, One true. take. It's not like he laboured over this for hours, yeah. you know. <laughs> But anyway, so a one-take. So the idea is that this was done using a new kind of long-in-development uh, format called Ionic Originals. It <laughs> has more faithful, you know, rendering of real sound than vinyl and unique coating and all this. sort of. I don't pretend to understand it. Anyway, I some new fabulous format where it sounds absolutely incredible. So what they did is they recorded this one track, they pressed it up on this one disc, this sole disc. They put it in a very, very expensive box, etc. They put it up for auction, and somebody has has apparently bought it for just around one point five million pounds, uh, which is an ast- astonishing story. I mean, in principle, it's really interesting because obviously music is now, you know, limitlessly copyable and therefore virtually valueless. Everybody can have it. If you produce a piece of music that cannot be copied that is as original as an artwork so the Mona Lisa there is only one Mona Lisa to choose a very obvious example um, and what you're buying is a physical artifact which uh, of which there are no replicas there is only one uh, that was ever made. So they're they're doing a version of that but I mean the, the thing that struck me was two things one, obviously there are copies of that recording. they have the copies. If those copies ever got out, it would devalue the recording, wouldn't it? It w- wouldn't be worth anything if it got bootlegged. I mean, that's the whole thing: is you're buying for 1.5 million the right to to be the sole owner of that piece of music. So they must be protecting that fantastically carefully. In fact, built into the deal is probably some insurance against that bootleg that thing ever getting bootlegged, which would devalue it. Right? Well, except that, yeah,
0: okay, I, I see what you're saying, but presumably. This is being treated as any kind of um, precious commodity would be in the kind of art market, which it will have to become, accompanied by certificates accounting for its provenance. Yeah, what well, you know you have to be able to prove that you bought that one from Bob Dylan and T Bone. Yeah, but on, on the this, understanding on this date, that there, were,
3: there was no well other copy. except
0: you still don't really mind about that because you've got that one and and yours will always be more valuable than whatever the copies are of it, you know, because you got the first one, you know. It's like there are a million copies of the Mona Lisa, but but you won't, you know, the Louvre have got the one, haven't they? Yeah. Um, do we have any clue who bought it? No, there's no clue who bought it. Is it, I put it to you, Mark Ellen, is it not possible that it was bought by a museum or, or some kind of place like that that plans to exhibit it in some way, and that people might be able to go around and look at it and listen to it, albeit, you know, kind of, you know, buy a ticket to do it. Well, that's a possibility,
3: isn't it? Because if you were, if you're an individual owning it, I'm trying to think whether or not it'd be as uh, 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 the equivalent in terms of satisfaction as owning a, a, a priceless artwork if you owned a, a fantastically famous picasso the joy of that surely is that after dinner with a balloon glass of brandy you take your your pals up to your uh, you know your your perfectly temperature controlled room and high-security bunker where you keep this painting and you look at the painting you're in the presence of the painting which must be pretty fantastic actually yeah, but in yeah. this case i mean you're looking at a box with a record in it and i suppose you sit down and play. every time you play it i i imagine it, it, it its value is would it would it decrease the quality? well i don't know i don't know i, don't know. I mean that, that
0: used to be the case with an acetate and yeah it like would. That, that you can only play them a limited number of times yeah um and um it's funny, I was reading about it recently the first big best selling record in Britain. I think I'm right in saying this was a recording of O for the Wings of a Dove done by a chorister called Ernest something. I forgot his second name. Yeah. In just after, must have been just after the First World War. And uh, this was a massive seller, sold millions, <laughs> huge numbers to such an extent that they wore out the original master recording and had to make another one before they could press further. Because, you know, the master... But didn't people spot
3: that it was different?
0: Well, they wouldn't be able to compare and contrast, presumably. I don't know, you know. I, I just. Someone who had it, the
3: old version would say, hang
0: on, this, <laughs> is, this is not quite <laughs> yeah. the same. Is it the same bloke? Well, <laughs> no, it was the same chorister, but I think he was about three years older. So it's His
3: voice slightly, is broken. <laughs>
0: slightly less effective voice soprano. Second <laughs> time around. Brilliant. But, you know, the,
3: that's one thing nobody will be complaining about with Bob. It's Bob's a good story, <laughs> don't you think? And, and yeah. of course, t Manetta said, we're going to do lots more of them. Well, you would, wouldn't you?
4: The Word Podcast Two Cocoa Tins and a Piece of String.
3: So we're joined by
0: Alex Gold, and Alex is preparing at the moment to go off to Italy, as it Alex, I think it yes, is. it's the Amalfi Coast next weekend uh, to play a wedding. To play to play what you describe to us as an indie wedding. Now, indie wedding that indie weddings have come on somewhat. If they're now on the Amalfi Coast rather What's rather than indie uh, about that rather than kettering <laughs> rather than in
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But anyway. You said you had to rehearse because you're in the band. You had to rehearse a kind of indie repertoire (coughs) for, for the indie couple whose wedding it is. And amongst this repertoire, you said you had a tune by The Killers, okay, which prompted me to wonder what the Jiggins... Is indie <laughs> the killers,
5: which you will now explain to us, Alex. Well, it's not that the killers now are indie because they're most definitely not indie. As they as were to... once. They were once. They were once. I, I remember they, they...
0: it's possible to actually change your status as regard in, as regards indie. An R and B band doesn't stop being an R and B band when they're massively
5: <laughs> successful, do they?
0: But uh, indie group, indie group camp. This is interesting.
5: Yeah, the Killers are now not indie, but they were once indie, and that you can ex- <laughs> it can extrapolate the indie from any given band. So, for example, the Killers' first album, Hot Fuss, was. Absolutely, indie, one hundred percent indie. And Mr. Brightside is 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 probably the quintessential indie banger. If you were to ask any indie person on the street, if you were to hoik, you know, someone with the floppy fringe and skinny jeans off any given street in Camden, and ask them what the quintessential indie banger was, they would immediately go without even blinking. Mr. Brightside, good sir. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But you see, I've always thought of the as the killers as being a little bit polished and a bit rock and a bit slick and a bit a, a bit of a that first album there, though. They're from Las Vegas, aren't they? I mean,
5: but it, all their influences were British indie. I mean, you can hear it on that first; you can really hear it on that first album. The rhythm section's really high in the mix. The way it's put together, that first album is 100 percent indie. But you know, it's, so, it's kind all of right, so. are
3: the Indi- <laughs> who are the godfathers of indie? Is it people the, like Orange Juice? Those kind oh of scratchy, God. shambling kind of you know uh,
5: amateurish early 80s is i don't know because like, indie indie is a tree with many trunks i feel and um you know i'm going to interrupt for a second because mark you and trunks. you and i you and i
0: again we're old enough to remember when the term indie started to be used yeah. so we remember a time before indie i put it to you my lord <laughs> young alex gold doesn't remember that Alex Gale was born into a world where the word indie was, frankly, bandied around. Probably absolutely in his cradle. Right. Is that right, Alex?
5: Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. <laughs> I'm, I'm a late, I'm a late comer. Um, <laughs> no, I, think that, I'm, I think that's interesting.
3: It is. I, I'm not. I'm not. Never knew to... the world before indie. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah,
5: who? Come the... on, seriously. What? What? Who started? Where did it start? <clears throat> He doesn't know because he no, was there. I want, I want to know this. Oh, I, I, I couldn't tell. I'm not, I'm not claiming to know, to, you know, to kind of be the, 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 the sage of indie at all because indie is a fluid concept as well. My indie is different to your indie, for example, or all, all our, our, it, you know, it's like our experience of colors or, you know, or smells, you know, everybody's experience oh, is slightly yeah. different and, you know, depending on kind of <laughs> where you are in the chronological <laughs> spectrum, I suppose, you know, so my indie is completely different to your indie, which will be completely different to andrew harrison's indie which would be you know the smiths and all that kind of stuff my indie you know my indie originated my indie year dot was was oasis i mean that that was that was when i of course oasis transcended indie because they became massive and therefore not indie but you know they there was a period where they encapsulated the essence of what indie was whatever that was and what was
3: that now can we ask you what was that
5: uh, it was being slightly outside of the mainstream, having guitars and having drums that sounded a certain way. Um, I think, and also uh, dressing like your friends. Um, yeah, one day I love like, What you wore—it's like-, it's
3: like dressing, wearing the clothes that you were wearing on stage that you you wore off stage. I mean, it's yeah, that yeah,
5: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which the killers obviously did not do because Brandon flowers has always been a nighty dresser, but indie evolved again and Indy yeah. kind of split into two in the, in the noughties. You got the, the more kind of sparkly spangly strand of indie, which was the killers, uh, the strokes. Um, and then you got the, you know, the, the, the more urchin sort of grubby kind of street indie from, from the libertines, you know, um, it became a, 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 a multifaceted faction thing. Um, but you know, indie's like a liquid. It's not a solid. You know, it's not a cake you can divide into pieces. It's it's a fluid kind of like <laughs> squidgy mass that you that you're constantly swimming this, in. But never is this really getting any clearer, Dave? Indie's oh, like
3: a liquid. Oh I right, now I get it. I'm
0: sorry. I think this is really interesting. Yeah. it's really interesting. Now, would you say I put it to you, Mister Gold? <laughs> that, that you cannot be an indie man once you are really su- successful. Because when bands are successful, they kind of look successful. They have a kind of glow to them. <laughs> oh, totally. And yeah. and and this is inconsistent
5: with being indie, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, you could. I, I suppose you could. Like, in, it's it's a nuanced thing, and there are many elements into, you know, um, into making up one's indiness. And you could probably put more on the pie chart. I mean, you probably wouldn't want to, but you know, you could. Um, and one of those, one of those elements is level of success for sure. You know, and once it, um, you know, and your, your level of success defines a percentage of indie you are by degrees. Uh, but what, yeah. Once you start selling millions and gazillions and squillions of records, you stop being indie. Absolutely. By proxy. You can't be indie and be massive. The two things are mutually exclusive. They just don't work. Um, <laughs> So, but indie's so, kind of you know it's 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 a it's 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 a corridor that you pass through on the route to Mass. So it's
3: nothing to do with there's so many different types of it's nothing to do with kind of willful amateurishness, is there? Because there's another kind of indie. We did a thing with Nigel Tassel, who's written a book about the C 86. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, yeah. about Bogshed. He says Alan McGee came to see us play in London and he said he wasn't sure if he'd just seen the best band in the world or the worst band in the world. So that kind of being catastrophically awful and unambitious uh, is not part of it magic
5: is it? no I suppose it is but this this once again goes back to the notion that indie is is a completely kind of fluid kind of you know malleable sea of different things you know and everybody's indie is slightly different it's it's really it is a really nebulous concept you know but being awful and really small and bad at playing your music is is part of being indie absolutely you know but also having a cool haircut and decent shoes but not selling millions of records that's also being indie can i just Um, say
0: can i just say uh, you know i did point this out years ago in a best-selling book about (laughs) rock stars about rock stars the key things about key thing about rock stars
5: is the footwear Footwear oh, hugely important. Shoes in and the, hair. It all starts the, and ends with the top and the bottom. Everything go. in between doesn't really matter. It it's does. not really about the music. <laughs> <at all. laughs> that's really. That's it's, really about, true. it's about your fringe and how pointy your toes are. So really. I,
0: I must point out to people listening that Alex Gold um, is about to fly to Italy to the Amalfi Coast in July. And he will be carrying with him, or pulling along behind him, a, a suitcase about the size of a of a magician's wardrobe, <laughs> you know, containing. And this suitcase will contain not one pair of Doc Martens, which some of you might think was surplus A requirement so, for, for Italy, no, anyway,
3: in, in the Amalfi Coast in, in the summer, in July, yeah, absolutely.
0: No. He's taking two that he's admitted to already, and he may, at the last minute, <laughs> panic, fling it, and take a third. <laughs> take a third yeah. <laughs> a pair of docks to the Amalfi Coast. Defend yourself, Alex
5: Gold. Uh, well, you got options, you know. I mean, God. You know what? What happens if the shirt you pick doesn't go with your with your mahogany vegan Doc Martens? It's a disaster. You know you can't. Ha- the wedding's you can't, off. You can't possibly expect it to to be able to rock with the wrong shoe shirt combination. Um, but in my defence, I, w- I will say that I don't know why I'm pointing to a suitcase. It isn't there. But um, I'll be wearing one pair of Docs and one pair will be in the suitcase because they're quite heavy as well, so they do affect the weight of the thing. <laughs> but I will be taking a pair of Converse as well and a pair of white sneakers just in case because white sneakers go with absolutely everything. Um so you know. I want to know whether because you were talking about certain bands,
3: certain indie bands, it's no longer okay to like.
5: Yes. It, it's a this is list. very interesting.
3: So if I gave you a few notes I mean you can still like you can still like Oasis. Yeah,
5: that's fine. Obviously. You but you can't like the Stone Roses. Uh no, you can. You can. Um it's tricky to like Ian Brown as an entity. <laughs> yeah. Now. yeah. I, th- I think it's fine to like the Stone Roses. I think, you know. They can't tar Rennie and Manny and John Squire with Ian Brown's musky. So all,
0: all you're talking about is Ian Brown's kind of uh unconventional political opinions. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's all it took. All it took to get him cast out of the indie world. Which means that the one thing that the indie world doesn't tolerate is non-conformity.
5: Uh no, it's not that. No, I don't think the indie world... No, doesn't. That's a really clever point. It's inter- that is interesting. I think, you know, as indie gets bigger and less indie, then, of course, the concept of nonconformity becomes a bit of a... It's huge. Yeah. Alex, yeah. it's hugely conformist.
0: It's the most conformist subculture in the history of popular music I think you're right
5: I, I think you're right I think it started off with the best of intentions but it, it has definitely it become, gradually gone so more and more you're by the rules you basically I
3: mean Morrissey's been effectively booted out hasn't he? Yes. which, which you don't understand but I mean it's yeah. just that he doesn't fit the template anymore
5: well no I, th- I, th- I think that you know I, th- I think it, in the case of Ian Brown and Morrissey it's, it's, it's indie people taking a stand against other indie people being arses which I think is fair enough um I think there's a degree there is room for individualism there. Of course, there is. Um, but in Morrissey and Ian Brown, a very extreme case. K- you know, it, it it wouldn't matter if they're in a metal subculture or a or a K-pop subculture. I'd like to think that you know, given their recent you know uh, personality quirk developments, um, they'd have been ostracised anywhere just because they've been legitimate asses. You know, and not very palatable people. And I think that that's fair enough. You know, that's absolutely fair enough.
2: In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with LinkedIn you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today who uh,
5: else
3: no, uh, who else, uh, who else is, is is no longer acceptable
5: uh it's difficult to look like razor light why um, again because of the singer um <laughs> And it nearly always is. Actually, This
0: is really good. Persona non indie.
5: This is a a new category. A friend of mine's got a really good, interesting theory about singers and why a lot of singers tend to be a little bit um, difficult, quirky, (laughs) um, to be kind about it. And that's because he seems to think that if you, if you learn to play an instrument and you learn to play an instrument when you're a child or a teenager, um, Uh, within that package comes virtues like patience you teach yourself the you know the how to be patient and how to be measured and all those qualities that you know help sort of round you as a person whereas if you're a pop singer or a rock singer you you probably haven't studied it at all you know you probably just get thrown into a band and just and just expect it to happen instantaneously and that sort of becomes a maxim for your, your life and you know of course that um you know, if that spills out into other areas, it makes you incredibly difficult. Um, but in their
0: defence, in yeah. defence of lead singers, I put it to you, Mister Gull, again. Okay, they have twice as much courage as the rest of the group. Because uh, no. they have to. They stand there on their own. There's
3: nothing, nothing to hide behind. between.
0: There's nothing to between. You know, their or the audience's scrutiny and their genital area. Not uh, whatsoever, feeling well, of vulnerability that most people could not deal with, mink Jagger did this before he was famous, so it took unbelievable nerve to do this yeah before absolutely. he was, you know, and they've all it's, done it's that
5: like, it's either extreme courage or just a complete lack of shame. I don't know, maybe it's both at the same time you know
0: well it's a bit i, I, I don't know i don't know if Mark would agree with this because I used to find years ago. When when I was on the telly years ago, I could never watch myself. We've had this conversation. Unless I, no, stood, no. unless I stood, unless I stood behind, behind a the door, sofa. really, looked,
3: or put a seriously put a pillow on my lap, or do something seriously. like that. Yeah, you just seriously. <laughs> Be hunched up, hugging your knees, and I'm afraid to say this is just a psychological thing. Isn't it? It's about defending a part of your body that it just is. makes you feel incredibly exposed. It's
0: Whereas cute. guitarists have an enormous, great plank of wood and metal in between them and the audience, which which they hide behind. Frankly, the singer yep. doesn't at all. So I'm saying <coughs> respect to the singer. But I know where I know where your mates coming from uh, in terms of discipline. Well, that's you know that's I like to feel that has been a valuable addition
3: <laughs>
4: to a debate. It ha- I've learned a lot. I've got to be honest. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. We recorded
0: this on Sunday morning ahead of the Wimbledon men's final with uh, Nick Kyrgios and, um, and Novak Djokovic. So we don't know what the outcome's going to be but um I'm going to be intrigued to to see if Kyrios wins which is a big if uh how he reacts to to the moment of kind of triumph because having seen him like you and I did we went to Wimbledon on, we Monday, saw him on Monday
3: on Monday yeah.
0: and uh, we got an opportunity to observe at close quarters uh, at some length because it was a long old long old match um his whole kind of um, demeanor on court, which which seems to me to be—I can't quite decide whether it's punk
3: rock or it's hip hop. It's hip hop.
0: It's hip hop, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's it's an extension of that thing we've talked about before. You know, the idea of being a rock and roll sports person, or a rock and roll chef, or a rock and roll politician, or rock and roll entrepreneur, or whatever. And he's a classic rock and roll sports person, but it's kind of hip hop because firstly he walks. With a kind of hip-hop roll, he does isn't he? a proper he... role. and uh, he walks he... like
0: a person who's not an athlete at all. Yeah, Absolutely.
3: he's kind of crouched as if permanently <laughs> in pain, and that's another thing. When we were watching him, he suddenly seemed to suggest that his shoulder was giving them grief and so he's clutching his shoulder and he looked preoccupied about that and at one point he actually called in a physio which is of course a destabilizing thing for the opposition because suddenly everybody's got to stop and uh somebody comes in and has a word with you but i mean we couldn't work out could we whether or not he really did have a bad shoulder or whether this was some kind of attitude ruse thing that he was using again to to psychologically uh hold his opponent below the waterline you just can't tell the other thing is that Nothing is ever his fault. Ever. Nothing ever. is his fault. So if he misses the shot, he starts to look around the crowd as if to point at somebody who might have distracted him. Or, you know, or if there's a if there's a, a decision given against him, he'll have a go at the umpire. And call the umpire bro. Hey bro. bro which bro. Bro. is absolutely it's so kind of it's it's so it's isn't it?
0: doubly insulting when applied to a french umpire somehow calling a french umpire bro there's no Just, idea what you're talking about absolutely, absolutely ridiculous i know, I know. Uh, and the other thing is he doesn't have critics he has haters he has haters that's a very hip-hop thing it is <laughs> it's the idea that you hate you don't just hate me. You hate me and my people. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. And the other thing, I still can't, I know he's not the only person who does this, but I couldn't help thinking who, in their right mind, undertakes a, an athletic endeavor at the highest possible level while wearing a backwards baseball cap. Is there anything more uncomfortable, more distracting than the backwards baseball cap, which is always catching in your neck? Yeah. You know what I mean? The the idea that, is incapable of hitting a shop without wearing a backwards baseball cap. It,
3: it's so hip-hop, isn't it? It's Completely. so it's but he so, can He he can't be separated from that because that's just such a big part of his identity, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, is, it and is. The other thing I noticed that he does is, is it's now absolutely standard, whether you mean it or you don't, and I'm sure they do mean it, is that when the victor gets the interview. Uh, seconds after the 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 loser has had to kind of live off back to the dressing room you know it's death or glory isn't it they, they always start by saying look you know all credit to the person that just played they were fantastic i'm not i'm not better than them i just happen to be lucky enough to be better than them today or whatever it was a does, does Nick Kyrgios ever do that? No, Dave, he does. <laughs> At no point does he ever acknowledge that uh, that he was up against particularly difficult
0: positions. No, no. So I can't, I, I'll be intrigued to see how he reacts this afternoon because if he loses, he's going to have to blame it on somebody. And if he wins, he's going to have to do that thing that comes most, you know, it comes with most difficulty to people like that, which is to, to say how delighted he is he's yeah. won. Yeah. <laughs> Cause because his body language at the moment is I didn't even want to be here. They make me too. There were
3: moments when we were watching when he seemed to throw it away. He was just there were a couple of cases where he simply just batted it out, just deliberately lost the point. <laughs> yeah. And again, was that to throw the opposition and then to lull them into a full sense of security? You can't tell. You made a really, really good point. You were saying it's a bit like an indie band, uh being at, at the Brits. At the Brits. You know, it's that idea that you know, they'd love to win, but they can't be seen to, to care want to about win. it. No, absolutely. Because that would be wrong. That would yeah. be accepting a lot of values that they don't uh, subscribe
0: to. So anyway, that's Wimbledon. Um I was at the Wireless Festival is taking place not far from me this weekend in Finsbury Park. And uh I went down there on um yesterday just to see my son. And uh, and um so I was I was going through Vincent Park because they were all coming off to go to the go to the Wireless Festival, and the thing that struck me was that the I said to my son, "Is the, is the is the main demographic for the Wireless Festival? Is it fifteen year old girls?" He said, "Yes, it is this weekend." And We went and looked at the bill, and the bill is Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, and it's, yeah. it, it, you know the stars are pretty much all female of the Wireless Festival. And so it's there's these girls trooping off the tube, all wearing crop tops and shorts, and all carrying one thing, which is a phone, you know, festooned with kind of glitter. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and all looking yeah, this rubbery as if, pink case <laughs> with sparkles on it. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're all looking as if they're setting it off the most brilliant time because the weather this weekend fantastic. No, fantastic. fantastic for them. But it really makes you think, you know, that that fifteen-year-old girls nowadays go to see women in their twenties. Is that you know? Because those are the big stars, aren't they, they are. You know, what I mean, it's. I mean, clearly there are there are still kind of scream idols, but they're not as many as they used to be. It's you know, it's, they go and see women in their twenties they are kind of you know stars of you know youtube and, and instagram and so forth and uh, who's whose moves they can um, they can no doubt exactly emulate replicate but, yeah. you know uh that's a huge just part of the fun isn't it it's just the it's the kind of fun of being together and the fun of all doing those songs together you know
3: it's a hugely so mass thing. dance routine yeah. it's a mass dance and it's routine. A completely different thing from glastonbury isn't it it appears to totally a different thing, because I think Glastonbury, Glastonbury the camping camping event. I think there's a major division between camping festivals and one-day festivals. One-day festivals, you turn up, you get a bit pissed, you know, you see the X, you go home, you come the next day, whatever. But camping festival, its a whole thing is the experience of being there. There's a certain amount of suffering involved, isn't there? Absolutely. There's a certain amount of we're all in this together, us against adversity. And, uh, and it's not all about the entertainment. And also, it's quite a middle class thing. You know, it's people with camping equipment. It's people who like camping. And there aren't that many 15 year old girls who are necessarily up for that.
0: It's also people who've been raised to, raised in the belief that you're supposed to suffer for your fun. Completely. <laughs> it's a very middle class thing. Yeah. So absolutely. You're, you're not here to enjoy yourself.
4: Yeah. <laughs> you're listening to the word podcast where the time is whenever you want it to be.
0: And so we're joined by our Patreon birthday boy, Patrick Cleesby. Hello, Patrick. When was the birthday?
6: It was a week ago on Wednesday. Oh, All right. So you're over that now. I'm kind of over it, yeah. What was yeah, done yeah.
0: to celebrate it? I went
6: to see St Vincent at Hammersmith Odeon. Oh, very nice.
0: I'm glad to see you still call it Hammersmith Odeon. We're having, only having this discussion the other yeah. day with uh, with another birthday boy in Boston, Massachusetts. And we're discussing the fact that even in Boston, Massachusetts, I think it's a venue. Did he say it was called the Waterside? Mark, I think that's right. It. And it's changed its name about fifty years ago, and people refuse to side. observe it. I know. And, and I like to feel that's something that unites the brotherhood of music fans all over the world. They refuse to recognise yeah. changing the names of venues. Absolutely, definitely. So, listen, as it's customary on these occasions. You've you've got a log that you'd like to throw on the conversational fire
6: here. I uh, have. Which is, is word of your ear. What yeah. is it? Well, it's, it's two-part, really, but it's semi-prompted by uh, your observation about Petula Clark. All right. <laughs> yeah. Because I had a very similar one about the same week. I'm actually back at the BBC, and I'm in Television Centre. I'm in the basement underneath the ITV studio. So tell us, first of all, what happens at Telecentre nowadays? Because it was well, all sold, wasn't it? Well, I'm in the repeats department again after 15 years away. And uh, ITV are upstairs, so they shoot Good Morning Britain and, and Loose Loose Women and stuff. Oh, there. I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. And there's bits of, there's a there's a Soho house, which I haven't been to yet. and uh, A lot of it's work.
3: been sold off as apartments, hasn't it? Yeah. So some and of it, the producers, some of the people we used to work with, actually bought basically apartments that were where their old office used to be. <laughs> I think Alan Yenshoff's
6: got one. Yes, I he think, has, I think. I think Alan Jones has got one. Yeah. But no, the initial observation was I, when, when they were doing it, I went and look around the bottom end and the fourth floor centre wedge where you, you used to work and I used to work because it became entertainment and comedy post sort of suites after you guys did whistle test there. It's not there at all. They ripped a hole out the back of the building and the whole wedge isn't there. It just goes round at the back. All the apartment bits, right? I was, was just interested whether you guys have been to see it, whether you miss it, how you feel. No,
0: about not been to see it. We, we we had a kind of odd relationship with the place because a lot of the time we did whistle tests. The offices of whistle tests were across the road in the building which I think at the time was called Centre House, wasn't it? Yes, right, right. Yeah. it was. yeah Which is probably still there. I think you still see it when you pull into White City on the tube. I think no, it's it, been it's been raised now. Oh, has it? Yeah. Okay,
6: right. It's Amazon Fresh there.
0: Right, <laughs> there you go. So um, you know, we we, um, we that was where the Whistle Office was, and Whistle used to be done partly at Telecentre, partly in Manchester because they used to, you know, do Oxford Road or whatever, and also partly at Riverside in Hammersmith, didn't yeah. it, Mark? Yeah, yeah we not, did.
3: A, we had a whole series there actually. Yeah, with, with live uh, recordings, but with live audience. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I think when I did the first one, it was uh, God. What was the name of the studio? Way down in Surrey, the place. God, not Elstree. What am I talking about? Oh the the one that the Who took I can't
6: remember It begins remember. with a T doesn't it yeah.
0: I can't remember It was way down there You know So we were all over the place We are very much The kind of Cinderella of the BBC You know get it, it only appeared on the telly After the snooker Had
6: finished That's <laughs> right Of course Best 11 I think and it's it maybe been, The Bob days When it was in Pres A and Pres B In the fourth it, floor Oh then.
0: yeah it, it would be Yeah yeah We were, we're in bigger studios Than that yeah. uh, When it was a centre, But um. No, you were wondering
6: about bumping into people Yeah, so so the same way you mentioned Pet I saw Cliff Richard at the top of my stairs There you go And it's the ones that really give you a bit, oh, because it's a legend, you know Yeah, absolutely But I have a few personal ones that, in the music area I've got some acting ones Well, I saw, my, my son's a drummer and I saw Dave Grohl Sitting on one of the bollards in, in the donut, smoking a fag And I was dying to go and talk to him But I thought, that's that's not the
3: form, you don't do that Dave Grill, you probably grill sitting on a bollard. That's yeah, good, I think. Yeah. That's that's a major spot.
6: But I had a, had three in quick succession. Then I had the only one I saw with like a couple of uh, autograph, female autograph hunters hanging off them was the massive sight of Brian May and his clogs. Same kind of area, a <laughs> couple of days later. So that was quite impressive. But no, the, the one that really blew my mind was was three in a row in, in quick succession. I kind of went in the old reception, there was Stuart Copeland standing there. What so right. like, not worthy. And I got in the lift and Griffiths-Jones was next to me and I was a big knock knock news fan. Right. And I was just walking around to some suites of ours and, and uh, Charlie Higson bowled around the corner. I nearly knocked him over. And I was just going, this is doing my head in
3: This is a this is a I tell you, day, isn't I, it?
6: I've had two odd experiences,
0: one at BBC and one elsewhere years ago. My God, years ago, 1976 or whatever. I was working at Record Plugger and I was in Manchester. I'd gone to see Tony Wilson, who at the time was just starting to run So It Goes. And I was with Tony in his office. He said, let's go, let's go for a, a, a drink in the club at lunchtime. And the uh, Granada used to have a little place called The Stables, which is around the corner from Granada Studios. And so we went in there and we had a drink and I was just sitting there in this bar full of normal people, technicians, you know, whatever. And I'm looking around and suddenly I got the weirdest experience which is that the members of the cast of Coronation Street are all in the bar. That's fantastic. They're all dotted around all over the place. So there's Len Fairclough talking to somebody from World in Action or whatever. There's Hilda Ogden speaking to somebody from Accounts. Why is she not with Stan? He's over there. And honestly, that is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen because more than rock stars, and particularly in those days, These people, their faces were so familiar to you. You know what I mean? Mm. You you knew them better than you knew members of your own family almost, you know. And to see them in a place like that is a jolt I never got over at all. I've never seen anything like that. But the uh, the It seemed old, like a confused dream, wouldn't it? Because it, they're all saying, familiar. It, really? And you think, hang on,
3: wait a minute. Absolutely. Put these people together.
0: Some of them it's were great. in costumes, some of them weren't, yeah, 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 you know. Yeah. Uh, 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 all, just really odd. But the other, the other the thing about the BBC and uh, you know, the Pat Clark thing, who I saw in that little bit just off the reception in Wogan House, where people do interviews down the line, used to be very busy. <laughs> Uh, the other thing about about Wogan Houses, if you meet people in the, in the lifts, Wogan House has the world's smallest
6: lifts. Mm, I've only been in once.
0: Absolutely. So you're squashed, squashed in with them, aren't yeah, you? Absolutely. There's barely room for you. There wouldn't be you, room for you and Leslie West out of Mount. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's simply you know, not on the He's car. know going with this? <laughs> no, not anymore. No, absolutely. You couldn't get in the lift with the small faces. You know, It was just to be absolutely impossible. But the one that um, that uh, it struck me is a few years ago, this was in, um, I was in um, a reception of Broadcasting House itself, the very splendid old reception, which is not used all that much, really, you know. Um, and there's a fabulous kind of curving, cushioned bench going round there. Isn't and I'm sitting there, and on my right are all the members of Lady Smith Black so There's quite a few of them. Quite a few. And on my left is Ronnie Corbett.
3: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. What a combination. So they're just, engaged like, i engaged in animated conversations.
0: Ju- I, I just thought this is glorious. This is a perfect memory of the BBC.
6: Yeah.
0: Because there they were, and, and God knows what they're on their way to, I don't know, front row or God knows what. God yeah. knows what Ronnie Corbett was doing there or whatever. Ronnie Corbett, mark you... Whose legs
3: were so so short they didn't reach the ground. His feet went, were dangling like a schoolboy. Dangling boys. like a schoolboy. Yeah. Was he wearing shorts?
0: And yes. I thought these two acts,
3: if you like,
0: are both in their way extraordinarily famous. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everybody's got Lady Smith playing like, records somewhere, haven't they? You know. Yeah. And clearly everybody knows that Ronnie Corbett is. But clearly, neither of them knew who the other were. <laughs> and I'm in the middle And I'm almost want to, want to you go Wanted to go ski- to Ronnie do you me. know Excuse me Do you You're know
3: <laughs> That's fantastic And uh, you know the, That uh, reception was always I can remember seeing Both both Michael Palin And, and David Attenborough in there at second uh, On occasions And being incredibly excited On their way Presumably just to do a programme You know And sharing a lift With David Attenborough Which is I'm Not having the nerve To talk to him It doesn't Very really exciting. go away Does it the, 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 No the, no no When they're big figures It's woof, You know Oh it's I mean, extraordinary yeah that-
0: yeah well that's kind of how I felt about Petula Clark not that <laughs> long ago you know I've cried out loud That's bloody Petula Clark you know I don't care about the latest indie sensation she's been famous since I can remember yeah. kind of thing yeah. that's the, that's the thing about that kind of fame you know it's uh, I often think it's like it's like footballers you know you can only ever be really impressed by the people who were big stars when you were a child that's the thing that never goes away, you know mm. what I mean? Somebody comes along more recently; they're never quite as big,
3: you know. <laughs> well, it's that theory we've got that you can't have a hero who's younger than you, isn't it? They have to be older yes. as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, well, keep keep us informed of what's going on and what they don't even call it Television Centre
6: anymore. It's well. still called Television Centre; it just doesn't say BBC in front of it. It's still oh, got I the say- same Television Centre graphic. I say it's still got really stroppy security men at the yeah. gates. No, it's got a bit, I think it's got a bit laxer than it used to be. It's like, you know, I forget my past, they just goes, here's another one, you know, it's dead easy. It used to be, I mean... do so anyone joke, can get in. The
0: joke used to be that it was a nightmare trying to get through the gate, even if you were presenting a television programme. But once you were in nobody ever stopped yeah. you going yeah. anywhere at all you know you there's still a box
6: a guy in a box out the front it's just sort of checking goods deliveries and stuff
0: like that. right right well right. well look nice to talk to you patrick very
3: good to see you patrick
0: uh, and uh you know happy birthday as of a week ago
4: thank you very much okay thank you for your support the word podcast clearly there is no plan So any other business? uh, We should mention
3: the various pods we've just done, with various interviews. We've done all sorts of interesting people, haven't we? Go on. Um, Yeah. Chris Blackwell, uh, he of Ireland Records, he's written a memoir. And just a lovely bit of snap, where he's talking about early life in Jamaica. And I mean, how impressive is this? His memories include... Noel Coward being around the house, being impossibly witty. That's oh, the week we always had Noel round. No, no Coward, couldn't no co- get rid yeah. of him. Couldn't get
5: rid of him every weekend.
3: Yeah, yeah. And Ian Fleming, because of course they f- finished up buying the Golden Eye Estate. And my dad used them.
0: to draw the curtains when he thought <laughs> Noel <laughs>
3: Coward. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> we'll lie on the floor. quiet. <laughs> get behind the sofa. Terrace awesome. Rat- <laughs> Rattigan's Ratigan's coming round. Yeah. <laughs> Who's that at the front door? <laughs> Celia Johnson. Keep your voice down. <laughs> we've heard all her gags before yeah. <laughs> told the most of them awful no he's, he's talking about how i think his, his mum might have had a bit of a fling with ian fleming actually although they had a, some i think i had something going on and i think it, mom... w- it would have been
0: rude not to actually oh, yeah, 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 ian yeah. fleming kind of had a fling with most oh, yeah. people on.
3: and uh yeah. his mum inspired honey child rider and dr No. And pussy galore and goldfinger. That's good work, isn't it? <laughs> your mum now. was the inspiration did, for. Did pussy your mum galore?
0: not? Did your mum not do that?
3: Much? No. no. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. There's a lovely bit where he talks about Errol Flynn. So Errol Flynn uh, be, being around, he said he he was the first person he ever saw on water skis, and he used to water ski with his dachshund. <clears> that's <laughs> good, isn't it? That's good. That's a good. That's a good name for a book. Water skiing <laughs> with my dachshund. Yes. Yeah. Very good. And we what, did and he talked about it's very good stuff about the the making Bob Marley's making reggae international, making being in the studio and watching the various musicians working on catch a fire change that sound to make it appealing to her. And basically it took a white students wasn't it? Really? That was the thing. Because he overdubbed
0: it in London, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wayne put, Perkins put, rabbit and Rabbit. Wayne undray. Perkins
3: put all those guitar parts on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was good. And who else have we done? We've done loud and great loud wainwright.
0: We love talking yes. to Loud Wainwright, who's been uh, been an element of our
3: lives for an, almost as long as we can remember. <laughs> yeah, we were asking him if he if he could still play songs like Motel Blues. And he says he does play them, because obviously they don't quite fit with uh, contemporary values. But he does Hello. kind of put in a bit of an apology first, doesn't he? And say this well, he in explains the change social context, which is perfectly fair.
0: Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you, you find the same, same thing in reading, you know, James Bond novels, I would imagine. I completely, completely. <laughs> Go and read an original Lee and Fleming novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll make your eyes water. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Ladd, Wayne Wright, <laughs> and uh, we also spoke to, spoke to Julian Lennon, Oh, we um, did. That
3: was extraordinary. That was interesting. Yeah, and you felt a bit of sympathy for him. A lot of it was about being, having the surname Lennon, as he put it. Actually, wasn't absolute. it? And how difficult that life had become. You know, and you can imagine that. But he changed his name by G- Depot, didn't he? Yes, just it was recently. John Julian Lennon. He changed it to Julian John Lennon because I mean, it sounds like a minor point, but it obviously made a massive difference. Because I mean, he used customs, a, and he they would present his John passport. Lennon. The John Lennon. It's yeah, like you're John in, Lennon. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So, uh, no, he was really, really interesting. And he had yeah. an extraordinarily clear <laughs> memories, didn't he, about his fifth birthday at Kenwood. Yeah. There's a famous picture with anybody listening probably knows John Lennon holding a hoe and Cynthia holding a mop. Yeah. And Julian on his fifth birthday with, it, with a little, he's got a little birthday cake shaped like a steam engine. And uh, he remembered all that very, very clearly. And, uh, and then said, but after that, unfortunately, things went a bit pear shaped. Mm. So it's quite, uh, it's quite touching. It's good.
0: So all that stuff's out there <laughs> on the uh, on the on the YouTube channel, and, uh, and don't forget if you're if you're looking at any of these things or listening to any of these things. Please like them and recommend them, and share them, and leave comments—preferably favorable ones. You know, because that sort of stuff really makes a massive difference, doesn't it, Alex? It really does. Yeah, and uh, and also, if you feel like being a Patreon supporter, you know, we would very much <coughs> appreciate that. If you want to find out how you can do that, if you go to Patreon dot com, word in your ear. What's the different levels people can? Engage at, Alex.
5: So there is there are various tiers, as Dave says, and there. Um, first of all, there is the quiz tier, whereby you uh, gain access to our, our now legendary weekly Fr- quiz. Friday night. Every which Friday night since fun. 2020. It
0: takes about 20 minutes. It's not, It doesn't yeah, occupy your really whole Friday fun. evening. Go on. But it's Garryl. a lovely little community, and there's a, qu- as well. and there's a
3: prize once a month as a prize for the there winners. Is. There Quince, is.
0: Quince jelly or something like that.
5: Yeah. Go on. <laughs> and the next tier is the podcast tier, where you get um, early access to this very podcast every week. You get it before the rest of the world. Um, and uh, then there is the classic podcast tier. Uh, this is where things get start getting really sexy. So you, we do, uh,
4: <laughs> we, we have
5: the entire archive of the word podcast dating back to ooh, 2007, I think, um, and uh, we we rerun uh, select um, classic pods with uh, with a present take. On them, uh, courtesy of Mark and Dave. Uh, and along with that tier, so along with the classic pods, you also get um, the weekly word podcast with full visuals. So you'll be able to see as well as hear us. Um, and you get early access to all of our word in your attics as well. So it's a really, really, really good yeah, It's team. well worth having. It's fantastic. Um, and at the top of the tree, there's the birthday tier. So you get all of that. Plus, um, on your birthday, we come around to your house digitally and rummage through your record collection. Rummage, by
0: your, through. <laughs> your rummage, rummage through your records and take the mickey out of them. That's
3: Indeed. That's what we do. It's your it? big chance to show off your impeccable good taste.
5: Yeah. And along with that, you also get uh, the audio version of Word Neurotic, which isn't available anywhere else. So if you want to listen to it on the fly, walking a dog or whatever... You can do that by subscribing to our birthday tier as well. And we're about to announce a very, 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 very cool extra element to that tier, which we can't tell you about just yet. But we'll
0: Absolutely. Be- so if you want to get involved, go to patreon.com slash word in your ear for further details.
4: This podcast was brought to you by The Word.